podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. no apology for the different theme music today. It's, of course, John Williams' great theme music of Superman because we have witnessed the miracle of Headingley Mark II today, a superhuman effort by Ben Stokes creating another hero uh, from Headingley. Of course, actually, it was interesting. Sky today started their programme with lots of material about the heroes that Headingley have created in the past, like, of course, Beefy Botham in 81, Mark Butcher as well playing that great innings against Australia to win a Test match uh, at Leeds. And today, we've just witnessed something quite remarkable. How Ben Stokes pulled that off must have been an amazing game to be at probably the most remarkable game of cricket I've ever seen. The fluctuations, I think that was it, the, the fluctuations, 67 all out to 362 for nine, and England's highest ever winning score to take a test match in the, in the fourth innings. I was actually commentating on World Service at the end, just summing it up for World Service at the end. I couldn't actually believe the words that I was saying, that England were on the verge of victory. They were two away from victory and the highest ever run chase they've had in 140 years of test cricket. And yet they, here they were on the, on the verge of something absolutely extraordinary, as you say, heading the Mark II. Another mm. heading the hero in Ben Stoke. Not the first time he's done it this summer, of course. He had a brilliant World Cup, not just in the final, but some really crucial innings in some of the group games as well, although the innings in the final was absolutely stunning. And he did it last week as well at Lords. I mean, it's his two, two Sundays, two Ashes hundreds, and how they missed him last time when they went to Australia. I, you know, I sense at the time they, they were going to miss him enormously, and I felt that in Australia were bound to win the Ashes as a result. It just showed his value to the side today once more yeah I mean it's in a way yeah you're right because the the whole point about uh, a team is you've got a captain especially in test cricket you've got a captain who makes the decisions and is the sort of the the leader but you also need someone to inspire a team as well to be the warrior if you like the spiritual leader of the team and I mentioned both that Mike Brearley had him in the 1981 series, and of course Michael Vaughan had Andrew Flintoff. But really, Joe Root down under two years ago had no one. He didn't have that that warrior-like personality, the person who could drag a, a game out of, out of the mire by the scruff of its neck and, and take England over the line. And that's what Stokes has proved he's able to do, not once in the World Cup final, but twice as well. And it's just... Uh, the man is is bionic. You had glimpses of it in that amazing innings he played in Cape Town. I said glimpses of it, more than a glimpse at it. It was just absolutely stunning innings, that 258. He's he's not really been able to reproduce that. Well, how do you reproduce an innings like that, where he was just hitting everything for four and six? But what, what the point I'm making is he he's, he's, ne- he's not really sort of hinted at that sort of dominance since. And, of course, the other interesting point about his innings today was it was so slow for the first part of it. I mean, he, two not out... You know, around about 70 balls faced he was just digging in and biding his time and seeing where it, it took England and then of course in the end he just had to go for it Sir Alistair Cook called it the, the he said this must be the greatest innings ever by 
an England batsman in a Test match, and we were sort of thinking about it really. When you know, what what were the other great innings that have been played? Well, uh, Gilbert Jessup, you re- remember him? No, you won't. But Gilbert Jessup. Yeah, well, actually, you know, it's a good point because we're going to hear, funnily enough, a little bit about that Gilbert Jessup innings later in the uh, in the show because uh, I I've written this book. Cricket's Greatest Rivalry, the history of the Ashes in 12 matches, and that's been out about a couple of weeks. It's already out of date because this now this match <laughs> at Headingley is uh, one of the matches that should be in the book, and I'll have to do a rewrite. But one of those 12 matches is the game in 1902 at the Oval when actually Gilbert Jessup produced an extraordinary innings to win a match by one wicket. So... You'll hear a little bit of that story at the end of this podcast. Well, we won't, okay, we won't spoil it now. But anyway, Gilbert Jessup played an amazing innings back in 1902 in the Ashes. Graham Gooch's 154 against the West Indies, also at Headingley. I think that you know, that was a remarkable innings as well, where he, he basically took on the West Indies fast bowlers on his own. Scored a vast majority of England's runs. They went on to win the Test match against that top-class West Indies side. Think of Mike Atherton in Johannesburg. That that match-saving. 180 odd, which he actually reminded me about today. I said, you know, not many players. I was talking about Mark Butcher's 170 at Headingley in 2001. I said, you know, just think of that. Not many players score 170 on the last day of the Test match. And he looked at me and smiled and he said, well, I did, didn't I? <laughs> in, in a really nice way. And I said, yeah, yeah, of course he did. But not all of those 185 came in the last day. You know, he was he was well into his innings going into that final day. So that you know, others in in Johannesburg. I mean, I'm t- talking about in my lifetime, really. I mean, I, it's hard to talk about innings apart from the Jessup innings, which you know really stands out. Uh, I was getting Andrew Sampson, our statistician, just to you know think back, think you know, give it, give us a, a choice of, of great innings. Um, but but before you know, 19 early 70s when I started watching cricket. Uh, I, I, I'm not as clued up about some of the great innings that have been played by England batsmen. But in, in, you know, in the last 50 years, there cannot have been many better than that. Both of them, of course, in, in 1981 and the innings at Old Trafford when he t- took on uh, Dennis Lilly and hooked him off his eyes mm. you know, out, towards the, uh, out towards the station at Old Trafford. So you know, those are some of the great innings that have been played. But to, to, I think it's the context as well, isn't it? To win a match from this situation when the Ashes were on the line. If England lost, that was it. The Ashes have gone. So it was the, the only thing that could have been better in terms of context was if that was the innings that actually won the Ashes. But yeah, that, ashes, that was you yeah. know yeah. in terms of a peak performance. But I mean, to to to, to save the ashes. No, I, I completely to save agree the ashes, yours. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. It's the it's the best uh, test innings I've ever seen, and I think it's not just as you say because the ashes was on the line, but actually the the range of the innings as well. You you know you you said already that he made two from his first seventy balls, and he really got you know got stuck in, and then he gradually flourished, but then he had to put on all those runs at the end with you know rabbits it's effectively tail enders so he put on a hundred and of the last four wickets England when when Bairstow was out England needed 114 to win and the other players so that's Archer, Wokes, Broad and Leach contributed 18 of that 114 runs so Stokes made 96 of the remaining 114 required to win from those last four wickets he put on 76 of course with the uh, the last man Jack Leach which is the third highest partnership for the last wicket to win a game 
and also it's the second highest partnership with a batsman scoring one or less in a test match because Leach only contributed one not out of that partnership of 76. There's only one higher and that was Sanath Jarasaria and Dinesh Fernando who put on 102 with Fernando only making one run for Sri Lanka against Pakistan. So, you know, all those stats weighed up together plus the fact that he played so many gloriously and innovatively creative shots as well, like that amazing switch hit for six, like the ramp shot over the, the keeper's head off Pat Cummins, like the, the big hits off uh, Nathan Lyon and the seam bowlers. I mean, it was just an innings of incredible range and repertoire as well as extraordinary courage and stamina. Yeah, and he was absolutely shattered at the end. And it's easy to forget as well, he, his bowling in that Australia second innings because he, he bowled the whole of the final session on Friday. He bowled most of that first session on Saturday morning as well. You know, monumental bowling effort, 24.2 over three for 56. Just to you know, hold Australia in check. Uh, Tim Payne was talking afterwards about you know, the fact they could have been a bit more ruthless in their second innings and set England more. You know, with that lead of 112, a good base on which to build, they could have gone a bit higher and really just put the game out of England's reach. Having said that, you know, to set the team 359 and be bowled out for 67, you feel that should have been enough. And you know, 99 times out of 100, of course, it, it would have been enough. 15 for two, England were 286 for nine. Uh, just Stokes and Leach there at the end. But you know, again, the, the miracle of heading. I mean, it's, it, 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 again, it's, just, it's hard to believe what happened and happened because it, 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 it's so difficult to do what they did. Um, it, it is also worth talking about the mistakes Australia made. I mean, they will point to the fact, quite rightly too, they will point to the fact that they were convinced they had Ben Stokes out. The technology said it was out. They didn't have a review left. Joel Wilson raised his finger, uh, didn't raise his finger. Um, you know that 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 was a you know, huge moment. England needed two to win. I thought it was a, is actually one. You know, it was one of the big mistakes that he made in his innings. Ben Stokes, one of the few mistakes I should say, taking that shot on uh, with with two needed for victory. So there's that for Australia. Lyon dropping the ball as well when Jack Leach would have been run out. They had their chances, Australia. It was, it was just one of those days. And they'll look back and sort of curse their luck as well and, and curse their judgment because they'd used up their review on a ridiculous LBW shout against Leach. Uh, you know, Payne and Cummins involved in that. They had their opportunities and, and they blew it. I mean, they, you know, they had the chance to win the match despite Stokes' brilliance and Australia have wasted that opportunity. And it's amazing the parallels, actually, between 1981 and 2019. Yeah, Australia winning the first test in, 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 in 1981. In 1981, they then drew at Lords, and then they lost an incredible match at, at Headingley. Can history repeat itself? Uh, and, and well, it could well. And in fact, also in that uh, comparison, the England captain was out for two noughts uh, at Lords in the second test. That, of course, was Ian Botham. Yeah. And he then uh, became obviously not the captain for the third test. And England won that amazing match at, at Headingley. And the England captain this time has been out for two successive noughts, Joe Root, before his 77 here in this second inning. So th there's lots of weird parallels. I noticed, by the way, talking of Nathan Lyon uh, dropping that ball for the run out uh, a little sly tweet from Matt Pryor who was the subject of one or two bits of sledging from Nathan Lyon in the past and he just posted on Twitter Nathan Lyon hashtag mother cricket with a sort of raised eyebrows uh, just to say yeah you know maybe you should uh, keep your mouth shut sometimes mate now 
obviously that, that compelling drama has got us all indoors today on a glorious day in England. One man who was watching it, who wasn't missing the sunshine, though, was Ben Stokes' dad, who, of course, is living in New Zealand in Christchurch, but he wasn't going to miss this day for anything, even though it was in the middle of the night. You know how you get a feeling sometimes that, you know, like, it would have to be uh, extremely good effort, but you feel like it's always possible for a, uh, to a team to win in that circumstance. Not just the, you know, like, Ben doing so well, but for the team to hang in there and just, you know, having to do what they needed to do. You just had that feeling that was possible in that game. There's nothing like watching something live like that, you know. Like, if you miss it live, you'd be disappointed. And, and what did you think of it? I mean, what what was going through your mind? Um, like, well, it was turning that impossible situation and every ball that went and every six that went, you think, well, it is possible now. You know, you, you're, you're watching what's happening and you think maybe, maybe it's his time, you know, to do something like that. But not only that, it was... At no stage did I feel like Jack Leach was under any pressure I'd like he, he batted so well you know and he and he kept the pressure on Ben yeah I mean he was he was incredibly composed it's funny actually watching him clean his glasses and things like that every ball actually wasted a bit more time which is quite good and yeah. I, I mean obviously Ben has had a remarkable summer I mean that's two superhuman efforts that he's put in the World Cup final and now this so where does he get it from I mean, were you were you the kind of sportsman who never gave up? Like I think any sportsman who, um, who who's played any at, at any level has an attitude, um, or some have an attitude that just never do that. Yeah, and I think, like no matter what the odds were, you never you always go there and do your best. It doesn't matter what. So you've always got to try and do that. You've always got to try and achieve that, even if the you know the probability of trying to get over the line in that situation was high or the improbability but because because that you have a strong mental approach um, you just want to do your best and if your best is good enough sometimes you come out on top not always but you know but but, but you have to have this you, you have to have this sort of self-belief as well which I mean is obviously it, it, there's, there's in there's an inbuilt self-belief in in the Stokes kind of uh, uh, brotherhood is there well, we like to think so, yeah. We like to think that we're all, uh, we, you know, in any situation, there's always some light at the end of the tunnel, you know, like the sun always comes up tomorrow, doesn't it? No, absolutely. And, and how are you feeling now, apart from absolutely exhausted? Um, oh, very proud, you know, like, and uh, uh, it was just tremendous, you know, to see those sporting situations. I mean, like, even if Ben wasn't involved, with that today, it's nice to be witness to a sporting situation. I mean, like, you know, sport takes us away from everything that, you know, hard in our lives. And you see things like that and the fairy tale finishes like that. I mean, that's just so special, isn't it? Well, I spent a bit of time with Jed Stokes, actually, at the IPL in April and May, who followed Ben around playing for the Rajasthan Royals. He's a really interesting character. Of course, he played 
rugby league for New Zealand and he came over to England to be a professional to play for Workington uh, and it was him coming over as a professional that actually brought Ben eventually over to England when he was 13 to join his dad to join the family if you like to, the family came over to, to live in England with uh, Ben's dad actually as coach at that point of Workington but I just think it, it sort of says quite a lot about the family that that Jed, when he was uh, in the middle of his career playing in New Zealand, broke a finger about a month before he came to England to work as a professional, to play as a professional for Workington. And although every bit of medical advice said, mate, you've got to go and get this finger sorted, uh, he just said, no, no, I'm not going to. I want to carry on. I want to play on. I'm going to miss my professional contract in England if I don't play on with it. So he strapped his middle finger to his index finger for the whole of a rugby league season. And when he got back to New Zealand at the end of that season, uh, he found his finger was so badly damaged from all the playing and strapping it up and so on that it was irreparable so he had the finger chopped off at the knuckle now I mean you know it's an incredible story that of of commitment and valor and sort of uh, die-hardiness which clearly he's handed down to his son and well and, and you saw that utter ruthlessness today that sort of that driven nature today in the innings that, that Stokes played you, you know he, it, it was odds against all day, really. That's that the thing. I mean, England away, they had a great morning session and they all fell apart after lunch with those wickets and he, he ran out Joss Butler as well. We, we can't forget that. So I don't know whether he felt a bit of extra responsibility and then that, that ruthlessness took over really, and then the adrenaline towards the end, some of those outrageous shots he played. Uh, he is technically an extremely good batsman I think it's, it's easy to forget that we you know think back to that Cape Town innings where he was smashing everything but the, the discipline he needed to, to play against Nathan Lightlaw last week at Lords as well and and today with the ball turning out of the rough the discipline he needed for that and just to just to stay in keep England in the game in that morning session you know, was was as remarkable in a way just reining himself in biding his time waiting for his opportunity and then it all—I mean, it all—it all came out in one glorious, glorious display of hitting in the afternoon. Yeah, so it was a mixture of you know Test match application with sort of T Twenty thrown in really as an innings. And if we compare it to Ian Botham's great 149 not out at, at Headingley in '81, you know Stokes's innings was a, a much finer innings because although Botham turned the game and England had followed on and all that, and he completely changed the momentum of the match. Quite a lot of that innings was lucky. You know, he got some lucky edges for four and, uh, you know, there's skyers which sort of landed in the outfield and were, were luckily fell safe. Uh, you know, there's plenty of playing and missing and things like that. Whereas I think Stokes, although there were a couple of half chances to deep fielders, he didn't really give a chance and he was examined by a range of excellent bowlers on a pitch which was helping a touch and he just paced his innings and judged his innings so brilliantly. Yeah, we, we, should, we should mention Jack Leach as well, of course, because without him at the other end, Stokes wouldn't have been able to do what he did and he kept remarkably calm, only faced 17 balls, but when he was called upon, he did exactly what was required and it was it was nice to see him get the single as well just to, to nudge the scores level and that was the moment when England knew they couldn't lose the match which meant the Ashes was were still alive at least and then Stokes finished it off with that uh, crunching shot through the offside and just sort of stood there arms aloft everyone roaring and the noise as well at Headingley uh, it, it was 
sort of football crowd intense. It was, you know, winning goal in the last minute noise from the from the Headingley crowd. And it wasn't just right at the end as well. It was, you know, it was many, many times during the day. You know, the first run of the day was cheered and the, the, everyone was standing up and getting behind him and shouting their, their encouragement. Uh, I, I watched the Australian supporters uh, just away to our left-hand side, you know, after, as the presentations were starting. They were all just sloping off uh, very quietly. I mean, what that must feel like for them and for the Australian team. I'm actually staying in the Australian team hotel and there is absolutely rammed full of Australians. It'll be interesting to see what the atmosphere is like in this hotel this evening. Well, it's it's why you play and watch the game, isn't it, for moments like this. Even if your team do lose, you know, it's the compelling drama of, of Test cricket, which is very hard to replicate in any other sport. I um, mean, it is it is the greatest game, without any doubt. And anybody who happened to see that action this afternoon and who doubted that Test cricket was an amazing spectacle will now hopefully have changed their mind. I wonder how Australia are going to come back from it, though. It's, it's almost like a, a blow to the solar plexus, a, 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 a hammer blow. I mean, they must have thought for most of that afternoon and the morning that they were going to win and that the ashes were in their grasp and they were going to be holding up a miniature urn or an imaginary miniature urn tonight, having retained the ashes. But now, suddenly, it's all in danger of slipping out of their grasp. Yeah, and that, and that is exactly what it was like in 1981. They were there just about, weren't they, in, in, in 1981. Um, the series was in their grasp and it, and it was wrenched away from them by Ian Botham and Bob Willis. You talk about actually Botham's innings of 149 at Headingley. The innings he played at Old Trafford later in the series was a pure mm. pedigree innings. Was, that, was, yeah. that was the high-class innings of that mm. summer. It was, a, it was a glorious innings of, of, of striking, of really crisp striking of the ball. You know, that was more like the Stokes innings today, that innings. But, of course, it wasn't played under such pressure. It wasn't played under, you know, the peril of losing the ash. But, but you see, but, but the impact that Botham had from that performance had a very long-lasting effect on Australia. Every time he came into bat subsequently against Australia, they all thought, oh, God, here we go again. I remember even in his last ever match against the Australians, which was for Durham, and it was re- his retirement match in 1993. And he bowled some, some lollipops. And I remember the Australians sitting in the, the Durham clubhouse, sort of in awe, because they thought Botham would, would conjure up some wickets with a, a, a bunch of basically a load of old rubbish, really. And then he kept wicket in gloves and no pads and things like that. So he, he has this... He had this uh, very powerful aura over Australia from 1981 on. And they must be thinking Stokes has got the potential to do the same. I mean, he's had a a wonderful summer. He's turned the the World Cup in England's favour and now he's won the Test match and kept the Ashes alive. And they must think they're in, in the presence of a higher being. Well, he's he's having the the summer of his life, and I think what was noticeable after the Bristol incident and everything that's happened subsequently, that determination to put sort of cricket right at the centre of of everything, to put all that behind him. Uh, you know, we saw him in Sri Lanka. You know, they, England would play a play a match. Uh, some days it would be a bit restricted by rain, but he would you know the game would be playing. He would come back to the hotel and he would go to the gym and he would be working really hard even you know after even after having played so and they had to sort of I think they were they wanted they were a bit worried that he was doing too much they wanted him to sort of rein, rein himself back in that it was that sort of, that sort of commitment that sort of drive that we were talking about earlier that has sort of taken over his cricket and because he is such a high class cricketer as well because he's got that fine technique as a batsman and you know he's a 
a very very good bowler as well. It's it's a it's a pretty irresistible package. Uh, one one now on to Old Trafford. Australia have got a bit of respite. Because that's the one thing for Australia is that they've got a got a big gap now between. Uh, the Hellingly Test match and the Old Trafford Test match. They've got a game at Derby, a three-day game, which Steve Smith, um, we are thinking, is going to play in. He's he's had a net today, and you know, with a view to playing at Derby, and I'm, I'm sure he will. And then you know, it's, the Smith Show resumes. England up against Steve Smith, and that that was you know irresistible uh, early in the series, and it, and then that fascinating battle rejoined between him and Joffrey Archer. Mm. Yeah, I mean, his aura of invincibility has certainly been burst, hasn't it, to an extent. And Stokes has now got this this aura around him instead. So England should be feeling confident. But, you know, a lot can happen in those nine days, actually. And uh, there could be some injuries. There could be... I mean, Jimmy Anderson, I suppose, will try and uh, make a claim to, to come back into the England side. So it's, it sets it all up absolutely brilliantly, doesn't it? Thank goodness, in a way, that it's kept the series alive. Because there's nothing worse than playing the last two Test matches knowing that the Ashes is not at stake. And it just keeps the, the ever-encroaching elephant of football uh, squashing everything else in its path, at least, can be just kept at bay for another couple of weeks. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, the Ashes are, are still alive. I'm not sure Australia will see it like that. Uh, you know, They would have loved to have clinched the match, probably gone on and win the series 4-0. But it, it gives a real fascination to Old Trafford and the Oval. I mean, I, I hope... That, that it's still alive at the Oval. It'd be fantastic to have a, a clincher, wouldn't it, at, at the mm. Oval final game? I suppose for that to happen, it means Australia can't win at Old Trafford. If they do, then you know, as we were, it's 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 a serious clincher or an Ashes clincher. For it not to happen, it had to be a draw at Old Trafford or an England win, and then Australia have to win at the Oval to square the series and retain the Ashes. That that certainly would be something. I mean, what we need as well, we need decent weather. We've had fantastic weather for this Headingley Test match. And I think that added to the occasion, actually. It was a you know, really warm, late summer's day at Headingley. It was, it was one of those sort of glorious days of cricket. Uh, you know, even if Australia had won by one run, which you know they, they should have done, they could have done, if umpire Joel Wilson had, had raised his finger, I think even then you would have said, what, you know, what a day's cricket we've seen. Uh, what a fight back by England. Australia just at the end, as England did in 2005 when they won it just at the end. Uh, but it, it, it was not to be. Uh, you know, it, was, it went England's way today. And, well, we've got two mouth-watering matches lined up for September. Yes, we have. It's been an absolute privilege to watch today's match, and I hope lots of you were able to see it. It is the fourth time that England have won a Test match by one wicket, and obviously it's created this Superman status of Ben Stokes, so it's tremendously exciting and wonderful for the Stokes family as well. So, as I promise, we're going to leave you today with a little episode from... Cricket's Greatest Rivalry, the history of the Ashes in 12 matches. And, and this episode is from a match we've already alluded to. It was the Oval in 1902, with Gilbert Jessup performing very much like Ben Stokes did today. The 1902 Ashes had been won, but the series was not finished. The fifth test at the Oval was some finale. The feud between Lord Hawke and Archie McLaren had been settled, and both Gilbert Jessup and George Hurst were restored to the England team. Australia fielded the same side that had won at Old Trafford, batted first and made 324. England were caught on a tricky pitch and managed only 183, Hurst top scoring with 43 after taking five wickets in the Australian innings. 
Hugh Trumbull bowled 31 overs unchanged to take 8 for 65. When Australia went into bat for the second time with a lead of 141, the incomparable Trumper set off for a quick single, fell flat on his face and was run out. Australia collapsed and were bowled out for 121. It left England to make 263 for a morale-boosting victory, but at 10 for 3 and then 48 for 5, with the Aussie spin-twins of Saunders and Trumbull tying them in knots, all hope seemed lost. It was the stroke of lunchtime on the third and final day. Many disgruntled members gathered up their belongings and headed home, unwilling to see England further humiliated. Enter Jessop, the croucher, as he was known, for his wide, hunched stance. A big-hitting Botham Eskel rounder who loved eating beef, he was described in Gloucestershire circles as a human catapult who wrecks the roofs of distant towns when set in his assault. He was completely fearless, as evidenced by the fact that he never wore a box when he batted, or maybe he was a masochist. A man who once clubbed the Yorkshire bowling for a 100 in 45 minutes, Jessup was a 2020 specialist a century before it came to prominence. He was not one for playing himself in. He scored off all the first six balls he faced and lofted Trumbull into the pavilion. After surviving a stumping chance and a catch to long off, he sent a ball from Saunders skimming over cover point and another over the bowler's head. After lunch, he cut Trumbull for an all-run five and struck the nervy Saunders for five consecutive boundaries. He put on 109 in partnership with Jackson, who eventually hit a return catch into Trumbull's gigantic hands. Hurst joined Jessop with 106 still wanted. He survived a confident LBW shout and flayed the tiring Saunders. Jessop launched Trumbull over the pavilion roof for six, pulled Saunders for four, but had trouble with Armstrong's slow leg breaks. On 96, he hauled Armstrong to the fence to reach his 100. It had taken him just 75 minutes, and in terms of time, it is still the fastest 100 in Ashes history. Adam Gilchrist's whirlwind effort in 2006 took 103 minutes. A thousand straw boaters were flung in the air and the cheering of the crowd could be heard in Clapham. The daredevilry of Jessop's innings can only be imagined, but it must have been not unlike Ian Botham's barnstorming knock at Headingley in 1981, a mixture of brilliance, bravado and outrageous luck. C.B. Fry later wrote that no man has ever driven the ball so hard, so high and so often in so many different directions. But attempting a delicate sweep, Jessup brought his innings to a tame end on 104. It's what happens when swashbuckling hitters think they are real batsmen and try to play properly. Now, with 76 needed, Hurst took over, batting with great common sense and control. He lost Lockwood, the eighth wicket, at 214, and the busy wicketkeeper Lilly at 248. It was now 15 to win, with one wicket left. In walked Wilfred Rhodes, Hurst's Kirk Heaton and Yorkshire colleague. The story goes that Hurst greeted him with, We'll get him in singles, Wilfred. It was refuted by Rhodes himself, well, anyway, no one could be that cool, and he opened his account with a lucky-edged four. He was subsequently dropped at slip by Warwick Armstrong, but he remained calm and composed, while Hurst twirling his bat furiously between balls and constantly patting down imperfections on the pitch, was focused and determined. 
The tension in the ground was unbearable. Every one of the 22,000 people in the ground was keeping score. England's last pair inched closer, nudging singles on the leg side in spite of Darling changing the field every ball. They crowded round Rhodes, but he was the best number 11 England ever had and held firm. With three to win, Hurst drove Noble's medium pace wide of mid-on. They thought about two, but decided against it, so Rhodes played out the rest of the over. Hurst used his feet to the relentless Trumbull, who had bowled unchanged through the innings, and the batsman took another quick single. A huge roar went up in recognition of the scores now being level. A clergyman, who thought England had won, charged onto the field, pursued by a policeman. Sounds more like a scene from Laurel and Hardy. The field was moved again, with the sturdy batsman Reggie Duff posted at deep long on. A strange position to be in when the number 11 is on strike, with one run to win. An Australian in the crowd shouted, Never mind, Duff, you've won the ashes! Then Rhodes hit Trumbull in his direction, and everyone ran. The batsman for the winning single, the fielders for the ball, and the spectators, who'd been sitting in rapt attention for about six hours, onto the field. The noise and turmoil and prolonged cheering were the witness of the best finish, wrote the Manchester Guardian. It surpassed the Manchester game in excitement, and it is difficult to say more. In spite of that heroic last-wicket partnership, the game has gone down in folklore as Jessop's match. The concept of Man of the Match was not formalised until the founding of the Gillette Cup 61 years later, so no free shaving gear for Gilbert. The euphoria was brief. England had lost the ashes, after all, and the country was still recovering from the recently concluded Boer War, which had cost 22,000 lives. And there were more pressing concerns, like the appalling health of a nation which, according to the Daily Telegraph, was a raucous, grasping multitude, good enough at pushing through the turnstiles or bellowing at a footballer, but who have no notion of taking any decent exercise for themselves at any time. Plus ça change, non? Podcast Network.